Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. Each week we present a conversation in two halves, part one, the Framestore podcast dailies. Each week we invite a guest to our regular daily session, set questions designed to find out what makes our guests tick, what they do at Framestore, their career journey so far, and all manner of advice, tips and tricks. For our second portion arriving later in the week, we hand the reins over to a guest co-host, a member of the Framestore community who stands to learn a lot from the experience, who engages our guest into a deeper dive conversation. Arguably a more technical discussion, depending on who we have on the pod. This week's special guest is Sabrina Gagnon, executive producer at our Montreal studio. Our co-host is Ariane Ribeiro, crewing assistant at our London studio and on a production career path. This is another great discussion and rare insight into the role of EP, the production career path, and lesser known skills that we often don't appreciate or perhaps take for granted in our production teams. So that's it from me. We hope you enjoy episode three, part one of the Brainstore podcast. Hello and welcome to the Framestore podcast, episode three, part one. Each week, we invite both a guest from our global Framestore community and a co-host with a keen interest in our guest's craft, work or career path, and we let the magic happen. We split each episode in two parts across the week. On today's episode, I warm them up by inviting our guests to the Framestore podcast dailies session, our 13-question grilling, followed by Thursday's second part, where our co-host leads a deeper dive into why we invited them on the pod in the first place. This week's special guest is Sabrina Gagnon, executive producer at our Montreal studio. With over 15 years in the industry, Sabrina started out as an animator at a number of Montreal-based production houses, arriving at Framestore back in March 2013 as a VFX production coordinator, then within just five years, meteorically rising to acting head of production. Then a move to Method Studios in the fall of 2019 saw a similar career trajectory, seeing Sabrina move quickly from the role of VFX producer to head of production in just two and a half years. And now, as we've said at the top of the top of the call, an executive producer at Framestore. Joining us for this week's episodes is our co-host Ariane Ribeiro, London-based crewing assistant on a production career path. Hello, Sabrina and Ariane. How are you? Thank you for getting on the pod. Hello, hello. So how are you? How's uh, life in Montreal, Sabrina? I hear it's very cold now. You're back into cold freezing season. Yes, it's getting cold, but you know, it's part of life here. Excellent. And Ariane, it would be very British of us to talk about the weather. We know what the weather's like in, in the city of London. It's pretty gray. So thank you both for joining. Um, We cobbled this episode together really, really quickly because we just launched the podcast and I wanted to get a good amount of episodes in. And I had a conversation with Kate, our global head of production, and she put Sabrina uh, in the frame for the podcast. So you come highly recommended, Sabrina. And Ariane, our talent team put you forward as someone who is a a keen future production superstar. So uh, it just made sense to kind of bring you both together, hopefully forming a a new relationship. But thank you again for joining. 
My pleasure. Good. So, how are you feeling about the dailies? Are you uh, are you, how are you are you primed and ready? It's thirteen questions ready to go for you, Sabrina. I'm ready. <laughs> well, what I do is I tend to have a bit of you know, small talk chat at the start of these episodes, but you know what? I end up kind of answering all the questions before we answer them. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to cue dramatic sound effect. <laughs> and the first question of our daily session, Sabrina, is who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you? And what are you working on if you're allowed to talk about it? Um, so who am I? So I'm a production based in Montreal. Um, like you said in the intro, I've been doing this for over 15 years. Um, I love it. I do love being in production. I love working with people. Um, and what I'm working on right now, I cannot tell, but it is a decent project and it's quite exciting. I quite like working with decent Excellent. Oh, there's a, there's a teaser. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we purposely uh, ask the what are you working on question because the answer is always, I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. Um, but yeah, what can, uh, can you tell us the last, the last property or the last show you did work on that you are allowed to talk about, Sabrina? Um, I did work on White Noise and 1899 in parallel over the summer and the fall. So ah, I'm looking good. forward to White Noise. It's, it's going to be a quite good movie, I think. Yeah, it looks excellent, just in time for Christmas as well. And yeah, we've just had a internal talk actually uh, in London around the uh, the 1899 show, which was uh, super fascinating around virtual production and all the all the challenges that the, the team had um, on the on their hands. Um, haven't watched it yet. I'm, I'm saving it up. I was going to watch it the weekend of release because I assumed everybody would be talking about it, and thankfully I kept quite a low profile <laughs> when I came back. But yeah, two two great shows to have worked on for sure. Um, so thank you for sharing that, Sabrina. And uh, just backtracking a little bit, because um, in my intro, uh, your stint at, obviously your original stint at Framestore, and you had a good chunk of change at uh, Method as well. Both really, you know, incredible career paths in both studios that led to very senior and head of department roles. I wanted to ask you, you know, what was your, what's the secret to that, that <laughs> career trajectory? I mean, it really is a, if you go on LinkedIn, folks, you know, it literally is a production career path right there you know from from coordinator all the way through to head of department you know what what do you attribute that to Sabrina? Um, I think there are two things I think the fact that I studied and um, in VFX and was an animator for a little while give me a little edge um, as a production coordinator I did understand a few things uh, a little faster than other fellow coordinators for example um, because I did it a couple of years ago I cannot do it to the extent of the artist I was managing but I could understand the lingo so we were saving a lot of time um, the other thing is a recipe we will never be able to repeat but it was the beginning of the industry right yeah. um, and it was a lot of little local smaller shops and you know we had to do a lot more so um, when I started as a coordinator uh, at Framestore um, within two weeks, they were like, you're not a coordinator, you're a line producer. <laughs> because I had been doing the work without a line producer for, for a little bit of time. And the only line producer I, I, had, I had known at that point was actually doing more of an associate producer type role, like more like client reporting and these things. So all the, the responsibilities were a little shifted. Um, so it looks very skyrockety when you just look at the frame store bits. But um, I had a long stint of, you know, coordinator and line producer experience before that, if, uh, 
if I can say, um, and and that that helped tremendously. And I think it's something we can no longer reproduce um, because shows are so large and the teams on the shows are so large that they only concentrate on a little bit. Um, so it's hard to get exposed to the entire pipeline very quickly and learn all that I could learn. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause it is, I mean, back then it was literally, I mean, you get thrown into the deep end to a certain extent in uh, c- current times. But back mm-hmm. in kind of the Wild West of the uh, the early part of the visual effects industry, at least it was the Wild West, wasn't it? It was like you just got thrown in and you were doing three or four people's jobs. And I guess that's how how you learn. And then, like you say, exactly. it takes somebody senior to go, wait a minute, Sabrina's um, not necessarily a coordinator here, not not in the traditional <laughs> tra- traditional guys. Um, but also, interestingly, you were a on the on the box. You were an animator, and uh, I'm interested to kind of and we'll get into it as we go through the daily session. But I'm particularly interested in what made you make that switch from artist to producer. Yeah, so I was working on a. It was a kids' TV show for France Trois. Um, so it was called The Pet Cats if anyone knows about it. Um, And I was on that for two years and a half. And it was a very repetitive type of show. It was, you know, I I used to call it a sausage factory. Um, And we were doing a lot of lip sync. Um, So, you know, I was alone with my headphones all day, you know, um, working on my shots. And (laughs) at some point I got bored. And I was like, I want I want to talk to people. Um, And job security back then was not what it is. Uh, now in Montreal for this industry and my company was like you know we really want to keep you but we don't have an animation gig coming up but we think you could be good as a coordinator and I did not even know what a coordinator was because it just didn't exist for us and it was just you know we were managing ourselves Um, so I was like sure I'll try anything you know Um, and then I just I just it just clicked for me and I I you know I fell in love with the work and I went back to school part-time to do my master in product management because I wanted to know more about the world and you know I I do not regret one bit uh, moving to the dark side of production but um, you know there's days I'm like "Um, you know I I would play with my curves a little bit more but um, you know I I, I miss the uh, interaction with humans um, and being alone with my curse yeah, especially if you are built as a people person. I mean, we mentioned on the last episode with uh, with Daniel from Vancouver is the nature of the artist kind of life is almost that of an introvert. It almost suits your your typical introvert. And I think we're we're all in visual effects. We're all kind of introverts anyway. <laughs> you know, we all, <laughs> we love the shows and we you know have, you know get lost. You get lost in the work. Um, but if you are a people person, then you know production is a natural career path, isn't it, Sabrina? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting what you're saying, because I am an introvert person. I do not like crowd. And it was really hard for me when I started to talk to people. And I was like, terrified. And I was just like, but I need to do it for work. So I kind of created some sort of a persona, if I can say, like, I was still me, me, yeah. but I was I created a false confidence to be able to do my work. And I used to call it walking on my shyness. It's a bad translation, but that's how I used to call it because I, I just needed to do it to get the people to do yeah. what we needed to do. Um, and, you know, over time, you just get a bit more comfortable because you know what you're talking about. But I'm extremely shy and extremely introverted. Honestly, that I mean, it, I love talking about shyness and introversion because that's my my DNA was when I was growing up, I was very I would hide behind the sofa when people came to the house like I was super shy. And I started out as an illustrator and I was quite happy you know, by myself, just drawing basically. And this line of work that I'm in is exactly what you, you've done, Sabrina, is I've almost trained in my brain 
to get out of my comfort zone all the time. So if somebody said, hey, can you do this presentation? Can you run this workshop? Can you speak in front of these people? Can you, you know, chair this meeting? I'd just say yes, and then I'd do it, and I'd be terrified. And even when I run workshops now, there's still that healthy dose of, of butterflies. It takes me back to when I was a kid because I used to have a really high-pitched voice, and I remember putting on the deep voice, and I think it stuck. Like I, I've probably my voice is probably never broke because I literally just pretended to talk in a deep voice just so people wouldn't kind of mimic me. But it is kind of like almost yeah, not faking it till you make it, but you know, almost creating that kind persona. Of. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. I'm digressing. Um, so question two, we've kind of already answered, but I'll, I'd be, it'd be remiss of me not to ask the question, uh, Sabrina, which is how long have you worked here? And obviously, I've already kind of given that away in the intro, but I'm going to ask it you anyway. How long have you worked here? Almost 10 years would be the cheaty answer because I did leave for about two years um, uh, to work at Method to work on Top Gun, actually, which oh, I'm awesome. extremely proud of. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so I was at Method for about a year uh, when Framestore uh, bought Method Company 3. So that was, <laughs> that was fun. I was like, oh, I'm going back home, I guess. Because yeah. um, Framestore always felt like home. I was the first... Uh, Montreal employee. Essentially, I was told to be signed and contracted. Um, and then when I started, we were only seven. It was all the you know people that came from London to help us set up. So um, it was extremely hard for me to leave. Uh, but I needed to leave for you know personal reason. I was highly overworked, and to to have been that person that everyone goes to for questions and. To be that centralized person was it was getting to me so i needed the break and i really wanted to work with uh, the people i got to work to on top gun so i'm glad i did the move and i'm glad i'm back yeah and and yeah top gun maverick is an incredible piece of work isn't it i mean i'm always talking on this podcast around you know being part of culture and being part of cinema and all these things that will live forever you know your credit being there and to work on something that has been so well received it must be, yeah. be so proud uh, extremely excited about it and it's crazy that you were shelf for uh, yeah. two years uh, before it came out but uh, I'm glad it came out when it did because it was able you know we were able not we but uh, it was a, a theater success you know um, and I'm quite excited to see where it could get to with the award season so. I know it may be the film that saved cinema I think it's got people literally back in back yeah, in exactly. cinemas post-covid post you know um, so yeah a bit around uh, a couple of questions about kind of your break and frame store, but how did you get your original break into the industry? What, what would you consider to be the moment where it's like, right, I'm in? Um, so I feel it's a bit of a funny story because I was, I was actually a cinema student and I wanted to be an editor or, you know, I wasn't sure, but something along those lines. Um, but I did not, I did not like the crowd. Um, I did not identify with the people I was studying with. They were ready to sell their mothers to succeed. And I was just like, but, you know, that's just not me. So there's it's that. cutthroat. Exactly. I was just, just that one day going back to my place, you know, in the, in the metro, the tube, the subway, wherever you're from, that's how it's called. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of, what am I going to do with my life? You know, my, my trimester is finishing in three months. What am I going to do? And there was this poster about a specialized BFX school in Montreal. Um, and I, I was just picked my curiosity and I went to see their course plan online and I just fell in love with it. You know, digital make makeup and all these 
fancy words back then. I was like, it's it's the magic of cinema, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just jump in and that was it, you know? So I got I got accepted, went to the school. A year later, I was working in, as an animator. And that was it. Wow, um, just a poster. Exactly, just a poster. And funnily enough, the picture on that poster, um, I worked with the girl that actually made that picture that inspired me to to join there. So that was kind of a cool moment. No way. That's like super poetic, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Good. And what was the first, talking about kind of big breaks, what would you consider to be the first like, you know, big show that you worked on? You know, whether it was an animator or production, what was the big one where it's like, wow, this is epic. I cannot wait to see my name on the credits here. Uh, well, I, I think on a career side of things i think just moving to framestore so i would say robocop being my first show at framestore was my you know my first show that after that i knew other companies would take me a bit more seriously because i i got out of the local scene yeah um but in terms of how i was proud to see my name on the on the screen it was blade runner 2049 Ooh, um that's a good you one. know it's a big one it was the first montreal only show you know there there was a lot of things to be proud about about it uh um obviously the oscar was the cherry on top yeah of course <laughs> of course and what an incredible incredible film that was i mean i saw it in imax and it was just insane it, was, it reminds me obviously it's june and those kind of movies as well that are literally works of art aren't they um brilliant okay well thank you for indulging me visually striking yeah, super striking. But yeah, Blade Runner 2049 was, yeah, it was just a beautiful looking. Whether, whether I understood everything that was going on in the plot, you know, <laughs> I didn't know, but it looked incredible. <laughs> it looked insanely good. Um, so yeah, this we're getting to the frame store questions now, Sabrina. So what's the, what do you consider to be the best thing about being part of frame store? This is quite a sycophantic, quite corny question, um, but it's in there. Uh, you talked about coming home to frame store. Um, but yeah, what's uh, the best thing about being part of the frame store? Um, my answer is always the same and it's a bit cliche, but it's the people, you know, um, and a lot of companies have, you know, great people, but, you know, I feel at frame store and I'm thinking of people that have been here a long time. So I'm thinking of people like in Montreal, Mathieu Bertrand or Jérémy Le Domez, you know, like do those guys are head of their departments or head of big parts of the company and they're just fundamentally nice people yeah. you know and after going through many projects you know with these people they, they at some point start to feel like family um and you know i just i just feel we had built built something incredible and really nice um you know so i was just yeah it, it, i i say it feels like home because it's it's my second family yeah know? there's something about working on these projects where you are all in that kind of bubble of that show for such a long period of time and you're working so closely together it's unlike any other industry in many ways for that isn't it i mean yes maybe the tv production but when you're actually working on the visual effects it is so insular isn't it it's not like you're, you're not always on a set are you? you're not always out there kind of you know living the set life you are literally in the studio looking over each other's shoulders you know and, and like you said I mean, we talked about in the, the preamble before we hit record you know some of the hours you were doing back in the day were insane you know in terms of spending all that time it's not just your typical nine to five no exactly um so having good people around you people that you know you you can um have fun with even though if it's professional you know uh makes makes a huge difference yeah and what i mean one thing i've been really taking particularly with the, the, uh, the gents you mentioned just now like jeremy and, and matthew is they're, they're when i first met them there was no ego 
I found like when you meet people of that caliber, I always expect a level of ego or a level of difficult conversation. And they're all just so genuinely nice people who are just at the top of their game, you know? No, exactly. I I love those guys. (laughs) Yeah, they're good guys. Shout out for sure. So uh, still on on the, the frame store tip, if you could recommend, this is a hard question. This is our picking a favorite kid. If you could recommend one show that showcases frame store at its very best, what would it be? What's the one you, you'd it's show really to It's a really tough alien? question. It's horrible, isn't it? It's a really Sorry. tough question. I'm actually going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to give you two movies. Because um, I think, you know, there's two things we're pushing toward right now at Framestore. There's obviously the character animation that has been our specialty forever. Um, and to me, the highlight of that was to Christopher Robbins, um, which I felt was, you know, perfect. There was no issue with it. It was like pixel perfect. It was beautiful. Um, and then for environment, I think, I think, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was, you know, a, a turning point in terms of, hey, here's what we can do in environment because it was spectacular. Um, and I remember seeing it in theater. It was like, hell, we did that. <laughs> you know, that that was impressive. Um, and I think it shows up all the talents between those two projects, everything we can do. I must admit, they're two really good choices. Uh, with uh, with Spider Man Homecoming, I remember the Frame Store breakdown uh, for the re- the reel that did the rounds. It was before I joined Frame Store, and we because uh, I run Access VFX, we would go out and run all these big outreach events. And Amy Smith uh, gave me access to that particular piece of film, and we would take that out to like every every show, every Apprentice event, every outreach event almost like the soundtrack was kind of you know embedded in my brain but it looked it was incredible and yeah speaking to what you said about the environment work it was dominated by environment work that that particular um, that particular breakdown reel so yeah, i remember it well and the film of yeah. course but that breakdown <laughs> reel was pretty cool and uh christopher robin um again i i, I spoke to my kids uh, school actually my kids uh year four so he, he's nine now but when he was eight i was asked to go in and speak to the class above him so Ian Landman and uh, the team here and the recruitment team gave me the Christopher Robin breakdown presentation. And one thing that took me with that was it was a Disney property, but it was literally like recreating the actual well-loved cuddly toys rather than just creating Winnie the Pooh. And it's a bit like having, you know, creating Paddington. It was like literally bringing those dog-eared um, comfort toys to life. <laughs> And creating character around that, which I found absolutely fascinating delivering that presentation. So they're both great examples, actually. Thank you. Ariane, do you have a do you have a, a, a favorite frame store show? Can I say Paddington? I was thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love it. It's like my comfort movie. <laughs> which one? Paddington one or Paddington two? Uh I think one, yeah, definitely one is my comfort movie, like all the time that I need just relax, Spanish on one. <laughs> you just put it on in the background. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So um yeah, we're getting into the role related stuff now. So we're well in we're well into the dailies now, Sabrina. And uh question six is what is a common myth about your job, role, or field of expertise? <laughs> Do people get wrong? <laughs> That's an amazing question because there's always, always um, misconceptions about production and what we do. And I've seen way too many times, like it's us against production and, you know, Um, but 
every time I mentor someone and I'm trying to get them to understand that production is not there to drive things per se. We're there to support and make sure that we do make things happen. Um, so, you know, yes, it does mean that sometimes we're a little pushy because we need to make things come out on time and on budget, you know. Um, but ultimately, we're there to help. So it has to be a dialogue. Um, and, you know, people have to feel comfortable to talk to production. So if someone says, okay, you've got these 10 tasks this week, go, go, go. But they should feel to be like, actually, I can hit five. Um, and like I said, that to be a dialogue. Uh, and then it's our job, upper production, if I can say, to train our coordinators and line producers to accept those answers and what to do with those answers. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I think it's a it's a huge misconception that we're there to, to be mean and pushy. <laughs> we're we're actually there to support. Yeah, it is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what you've kind of explained now is it's, it's problem solving, isn't it? It's accepting the things that come your way and then coming up with solutions and working together and collaborating and communicating. But I like what you said there about productions there to support rather than that that. Yeah, that cliche of being the pushy producer trying to get the show over the line at any cost. You know, that's exactly. kind of the myth, I guess. But you're there to help exactly. is, the, uh, is the misconception. Ultimately, yes. And, you know, good producers, I think, are people that can work hand in hand with their supervisors. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, it's ultimately, it's the role of project management, isn't it? Production. So it is about management. You, you alluded to uh, managing expectations as well. And, you know, yeah, the, 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 the craft of, of collaboration, which isn't just do this by then it's like management it's like anything any kind of people related role where you've got more than one or two people to look after it's to make sure everybody knows well what what you've got to do when you've got to do it and how you're going to do it and and making sure you're supported whether you're a, a people manager or producer or a, a pm coming in you know so i think that's really really quite acute no exactly and you know one of the challenge compared to other fields is that in vfx no one in production has or almost no one has project management yeah. Uh, training yes, really so good. we have to provide that training and you know it's usually take years to learn it all and we're we're asking them to learn it as they go yeah. um, so it's excessively hard and we're expecting a lot of our production people so you know we have to learn slowly the artists and production uh to work together absolutely absolutely and i think you, you talked about the old days of visual effects where you literally you're a runner and then it's or maybe in scheduling and then boom you're a pa and you just learn by doing, don't you? There's no kind of 101 course. But there will be soon at Frame Store. We've got the production trainers in now <laughs> doing good stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a really good answer. Thank you, Sabrina. So um, lessons learnt now. We're getting into the really meaty questions now. I like the second half of the, the daily's questions, which is um, what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Or learnt, yeah. if I say correct English. Um, just that uh, we're not saving lives. And I think COVID highlighted that to even more people, you know, we are making movies, tight deadlines, crazy things, but, you know, we should never push anyone over their own health. Um, and I remember it's funny, actually, I gave the exact same answer um, in my interview at Framestore 10 years ago, um, but I don't think I understood it fully. Like I understood the value of protecting people. Um, but now that I've seen so many people pushed, I think it's important uh, for us in production to actually go the extra length to protect our teams. Um, and that, that to me just became more and more important over time. Uh, 
maybe because I was burnt myself um, and now I want to protect others to not get there. Um, and I think it's just so important to put in perspective, you know, yes, you have a family. Yes, you should be with them. Uh, yes, we're not going to die. You can, you, you know, you can leave and we'll find another solution. Um, and just it's fine for people to have life and it's important for people to have a life outside of work. Um, so that to me is the biggest lesson. And that's, that's something that I want to teach to everyone I work with. That's great. Uh, and the key, I mean, you mentioned support earlier about being as supportive as production and supporting the job, but actually supporting your team as well and, and, and being there, being present for your family. Absolutely. But as you said, you make sure your team is supported and they're not burning out and they're spending time with, with their family. And there is a work-life balance, which uh, historically, you know, again, I'm not speaking for Framestore, from my experience working in the industry, it just wasn't there, you know. And I think COVID made a big impact on that in terms of uh, wellness and self-care and, you know, making sure that you're not burning yourself out and exiting the industry, which has happened historically. I mean, I've spoken to so many people who just got burnt out on jobs and mm-hmm. thought, right, I'm out, you know, and that shouldn't be happening. No, exactly. And I think it's important for people to just know their limits. And yes, yeah. we are we are in the industry that we are. There will be long hours. There will be crazy periods. Um, but you just have to get to know yourself to be like, here's what I can give. Um, and it's going to be crazy for three weeks, but then I'll need a break. You know, like there, there's a sweet balance to find. And if it happens twice a year, then you can give a lot more in those two periods when then you know if it's non-stop then at some point you just can't yeah absolutely it's funny because i feel like one of the things that i heard the most when i tell people that i want to go into production is this is like oh are you sure it's so busy and stressful really like almost everyone tells me that all the time i say it so yeah it's important to hear things like that no, it's definitely, and it's definitely stressful because a lot of the pressure of the project comes to you because the client talks to you and you're kind of in that, that metal buffer zone, if yeah. I can say. So, exactly. So I, I think for me is how do you handle it? Um, and, you know, how do you not push it onto other people either? So it's, you just have to be, you know, it's almost, a, I don't know if feng shui is the right thing, but Zen. you have to find a, a sweet balance. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and to be a, it's a French expression, but to just, to let it, um, you know, the water run over your fetters, you know, like just not let it affect you. And that's really hard. Um, but when you get there, I mean, you can, you can get through everything. Yeah. I read something recently about just adopting. It's easier to said than done is kind of being calm, the art of calmness, like everything you mentioned about being the eye of the storm earlier. And it's about just being calm stuff's coming your way and it's just let it wash over you and then go, right. What do we need to do? How do we go about it and what's the plan? Exactly. So moving into kind of the area of mentorship, Sabrina, who has been your most important uh, professional mentor, do you think? Um, that would have to be Lorna Patterson. Um, she is no longer working for Framestore, but she was the one transferring from London to help build the Montreal office. And I mean, she was our everything. She was head of production. She was, you know, doing the head of studio managing director type job, you know, she was doing everything. And the way she was patient and teaching to people, and I knew she had all the answers, but we were in a meeting. She's like, but what about this? Because she wanted us to hear it, you know? So it was never condescending. And I've learned just so much from her. 
Um, and then when I became a head of production, I, mod I modeled so much of who I wanted to be as a head of production on, on who she was to me. Um, and she made, she made a huge impact on my, on my career. So she's a phenomenal woman. Brilliant. Uh, what, where's Lorna now? What's she up to now? Um, I know she stuck for a little while to, to make babies. Oh, nice. um, last I've heard now, she's kind of a freelance production person. So I'm not sure what she's up to. Okay. Well, hello, Lorna. If you're listening, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think those those uh, early leaders, managers that you people we've all worked for. I mean, you learn a lot from the bad ones, but you learn even more from the good ones. Or maybe maybe vice versa. I don't know, but uh, we take a lot from our, our managers, don't we? For sure, for sure. And I, I I think I was lucky in my career to you know stumble really on someone like her um, that inspired me so much. So. No, that's brilliant. So an interesting question now, um, and again, I'm getting into my favorite questions. I mean, they're all my favorites, all my babies, um, which is uh, what underrated tool or tools are indispensable for your job? So it's kind of not the obvious stuff, but you know, what would be an underrated tool? It's a bit boring because I'm going to say Excel. And the reason I'm saying it's underrated, everyone uses it to be, you know, small, tiny things. But the part that is underrated is to push to learn functions and it's crazy what you can do with it and i would say most people in the industry are using it to its five percent capacity you know um and since i'm pushing to learn more and more functions and i'm happy to say i'm learning new functions every single week because i'm trying to build templates and things and the amount of time you can save by automating things using excel is tremendous um, and whenever I see people that clicked and they've just learned something new and now they're going to use it, I'm like, yes, one more. <laughs> oh, I'm impressed. I, I'm definitely firmly in the 5%. I am terrible. <laughs> I literally just use it. <laughs> I can just about freeze columns and enter stuff. But uh, Bonnie Duray and my, my team, she is an absolute, she can work miracles with, with Excel. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, a science it's a madcap science that i can't my my brain can't cope with it uh ariane are you a, an excel wizard or are you are you in the five percent i use a lot of excel as well yeah i think it's amazing wow excel fan club here. you can organize your whole life there oh yeah <laughs> all right we, need, we, we all need to talk offline i think i need some help with uh, with excel <laughs> <laughs> nothing and how to open it and how to put things in the columns and uh, that's it begins and ends there <laughs> so sabrina um what is the golden nugget of advice question this is what is the one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in production so somebody starting out in your field um just to be patient i think the industry exploded so fast that a lot of people expect that after being a cord for two years, they can be a line producer. And some of them did it, you know, because out of necessity, some of them were superstars. But what I'm seeing more and more is that a lot of people are getting promoted to fill a void, to fill a role that we have. And because they're, they're good coordinators, but they're not necessarily excelling. It used to be that you get promoted because you're kind of already doing the job. Like we talked about, I started as a coordinator. It's like, oh, you, you're, you've been doing line producer jobs. They didn't give me the promotion right on the spot. I did shows. I was acting as a line producer, but I was a coordinator on paper. You know, so that used to be it. You get the promotion once you prove you can do the job. Where now it's like, I want a promotion, and then and then I'll learn 
how to do the job. And it just had so much um, pressure on the old production structure. So what you're seeing right now is that we have to create role to compensate for the fact that, you know, our line producers cannot yet schedule uh, or our coordinators cannot actually manage people yet or the producers are not ready to manage an entire team. So it just creates a lot of pressure. So for me to just have that patience, to know that you don't know things and to be curious, to want to learn and that promotions will come naturally, you know, and it's to not force it. Um, and a lot of people don't want to hear this, are aware. Um, but the title is not everything. It's your competence is going to speak a lot more. It is kind of sl the slowly, slowly approach, isn't it? Like curiosity is something I learned fairly recently that it's okay to not to know everything. It's okay to not to understand something. It's okay to ask. I always call it perceived silly questions because there's no such thing as a silly question. Exactly. You know, if you don't get it, just nip it in the bud quickly so you can kind of get that understanding and then, like you say, start to build your build your tool set or build your competence. And, and exactly. And to also accept errors for what they are yeah. which is an opportunity to learn um, you cannot learn as fast if you never make any mistakes yeah. um, so not try to hide and lie that you've made a mistake it's fine just say i've made a mistake i'm human yeah. and accept it and then move forward with it just don't repeat it brilliant excellent advice thank you thank you so what's another great question these are great questions um what's <laughs> <laughs> what's one question you wish i'd asked you and how would you have answered <laughs> Um, again, I'm so cliche. I think it would be my favorite project that I've done um, over the years. It's it's a tough questions that I'm giving myself, but um, I think it's going to englobe all that we've talked about. But I'm going to say Deadpool 2. And it sounds a little weird because um, it was a tough show in a sense. Uh, it was a very squished schedule. Um, it's not the best work we've done at Framestore. The animation is all rough on the edges, <laughs> to say the least. But it was the team, you know, and it was just fun, you know, and I was working with uh, Stéphane Mazé as the VFX soup, uh, you know, we fully connected and he used to say that we were binomes, you know, we were each, each our own side of the brain. It was perfectly in sync. It was great. And then uh, Ben Magana as the CG soup was phenomenal. Um, so it was just, you know, great. Um, and the production team as a whole, so yeah, none none of us are friends on you know outside of work. We don't call each other on Saturday nights or anything. But when we were down to these late nights, um, it was just even though we had rotations and you know it was supposed to be one production person per night. So many times it was midnight and it was five of us there, not even billing the hours. It was just fun to be there together to go through this really cool project. So this one has a bit of a special place in my heart. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Like you're you're so close on the show, and then when you wrap up the show, it's like right, we're done. <laughs> you're not getting a Christmas card. Exactly. <laughs> no, but you still have that connection. So yeah, like those totally. people, yeah, it's like uh, you know, are we're still? Ah, oh, yeah, we did this together. You know. Yeah, you always have that. Um, Exactly. Yeah, they sound like great experiences. So, you know, they're tough going. I mean, I hear I'm under no illusions that it's a walk in the park. These shows. But to come out the other end and, uh, you know, have the rap party and you know, helicopter over all that work and what you've achieved as a group of people, it must be so, so rewarding. Okay, moving on then. Um, right. This is another interesting question, which is who would you like to hear from on the podcast next? Who would you like us to interview? 
Um, I think it would be nice to hear from someone that was once a runner at Framestore that is now like a lead or supervisors and, and talk about how they got there, the struggles along the way, um, these sort of things. Um, and a little bonus if you could find a woman. Um, that'd be cool. I am all over <laughs> that, definitely. And funny enough, Daniel, the head of Van, head of animation, they said, nearly said head of Vancouver, head of uh, animation Vancouver. We asked him the same question on the last episode, and he wants to hear from a, a production person, an executive producer. So this is literally a, a Christmas miracle we're experiencing right now. That, exactly. That, so hello, Daniel. I hope you're enjoying the episode <laughs> if you're listening. Okay, so we have our fun pairing question now before we wrap up episode one, and we hand over to Ariane, who's going to take the helm. Um, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Sushis. Sushis for the rest of my life. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'll just love it. Is sushi good in Montreal? <laughs> um, it's decent. I mean, compared to other places in the world, um, there are some very good restaurants. Um, okay. Yeah. Have you got a go-to? Would you want to throw out a recommendation, Montreal recommendation? Um, I don't want to say it to oh, everyone. Oh, it's a secret. But um, <laughs> it's okay. Same somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Tri Express would be my answer. Um, it, people kind of dismiss it because that, there's the word express in it. Um, but it's it's not express. It's a tiny, tiny restaurant with like five tables. Um, but he does pick up as well. Tiny bit pricey, but it's phenomenal sushis. Well, if, have a think about it. If you want me to bleep out the name of the restaurant in the edit, happy to do that. Just to frustrate <laughs> our listeners where the, the best sushi in Montreal is. Ariana, do you have a favorite um, a favorite food that you could dine on for the rest of your life? Pasta. I love pasta. <laughs> Maybe one day I will live in Italy. That's uh, that's you live on pasta in that part of the world. But um, yeah, very very good choice. So the final question I've got, which wasn't an original question in the dailies, but uh, when we uh, had our first episode with Sergio Gonzalez, our unreal trainer, when I asked him the question, um, "What's the one question you wish I'd asked you?" He said, what music do I listen to when I when I work? And we've now kind of birthed a uh, Framestore Daily's po- uh, Spotify playlist. So I'd love to hear what music you listen to while you're working, Sabrina, if you listen to music. <laughs> this is so sad. I have too many meetings to listen to music. <laughs> <while> <laughs> Life of a producer. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I used to listen to, you know, um, I'm going to call it folk kind of relax music type thing when I do bidding or these sort of things but that's kind of the only moment I get to uh, to listen to to music excellent well I'll be I'll be coming for a few a few names for the uh, the playlist what about you Ariane do you have anything you want to add to the Framestore Daily's podcast playlist <laughs> Framestore Daily's podcast playlist I'm not sure because I usually don't listen to anything when I'm working oh. so Wow. Maybe I'm a boring person, no. but yeah. No, Daniel on the last episode was exactly the same, honestly. Maybe there's a trend here. Maybe I assume everybody listens to music. Or, yeah. or maybe we're we're becoming victims of Spotify where we just get the algorithm to figure out for us. So we just pick a type of music and then they do it. I know, right? Well, I find more people listen to podcasts. I'm not just bigging up the podcast, but I find I, I'm a massive music head, but I find I listen to more podcasts now than music when I'm commuting and traveling, so... Sad times. I'm going to listen to some music on the way home tonight for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode one, Uh, Sabrina. Thank you so much. Um, We'll be back on Thursday where Ariane is going to lead proceedings and have a deeper dive into the world of production and, uh, and, and, and career paths. So 
going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Thank you, Ariane. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was part one. Join us for part two of the Framestore podcast this Thursday, where Ariane takes over proceedings as co-host and interviews Sabrina. We'll see you then.